This is Dr. Neil Sibola. This episode of The Integrative Veterinarian is a conversation with Dr. Jordan Cosen. He has both a bachelor's and master's degree from Rutgers University and earned his DVM from the University of Missouri in 1986. He began practicing holistic veterinary medicine exclusively in 1995 after nearly a decade in traditional practice. After having his practice located within a specialty practice, Dr. Cosen opened the Veterinary Holistic Center in 2015. He's certified in acupuncture by the International Veterinary Acupuncture Society and frequently lectures on holistic medicine for pets. Dr. Cosen is a member of the American Holistic Veterinary Medical Association, the American Academy of Veterinary Acupuncture, and the Veterinary Botanical Medical Association. He and his wife, Janet, who's also a veterinarian, and their two children share their home with two Dobermans and many cats. In this conversation with Dr. Cosen, we talk about his roots in veterinary medicine, his switch to practicing holistic medicine exclusively, and how his practice functioned within a specialty hospital. We then talk a bit about his current practice organization, which is a shared space model. He'll be covering this more in-depth in a webinar for CIVT next month. In these times of mega practices and corporate consolidation in veterinary medicine, I find Dr. Cosen's idea of a shared space model to be both innovative and thought-provoking. Please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Jordan Cosen. Dr. Cosen, thanks for joining me. How are you? I'm doing well, Neil. Thanks for inviting me. I'm really glad to be able to talk to you today. So, um, where did you grow up? Um, started in the United States, and then I grew. I uh, lived for about seven years down in the Caribbean before I came back up to the U.S. to go to college. Huh. Um, and at what at what point did you realize that that veterinary medicine was something you wanted to do? Well, according to my mom, that's all I ever said. <laughs> I, I never went through the policeman fireman phase. Apparently, I just wanted to be, just said I want to be a vet. I don't know where it came from, but that's what I wanted, and that's all I remember thinking of too. Wow! Yeah. So, um, came back to the states at what point? Just before college, or yeah, came back up a year before college. I was in the. Where I lived, we had, they had their British system, so I actually got out a year early uh, compared to the U.S. system. Um, so I had a year to, um, I guess, hang out uh, and then started college, right, undergraduate in New Jersey. And then after a few attempts, got into veterinary school at the University of Missouri. What did you study in undergrad? Animal science, because I wanted to be a vet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Rutgers, yes? Correct. Cook College, yeah. Okay, Ag yeah. School. So was that a was that a animal science? Were you kind of was that a, a different thing for you having grown up in the Caribbean to come and be around the animal science majors or not particularly? It's one of those things when you started in ag school, it seems everybody thinks they want to go to vet school. You know, the first day, yeah, and then after the first general chemistry test, you lose half. Right. The second year after the first organic chemistry test, you lose another half, and you know it, it whittle. People find things that are probably better suited to them. But I enjoyed school. I enjoyed the sciences. I enjoyed learning, if you want to think of it that way, and uh, had an opportunity to get some hands-on stuff with animals while we were there. Nice. Nice. So I, I did see that you did a master's afterwards. Right. That was a few reasons, with the main one being that I didn't get into vet school right away. So I said, wait a minute. If I don't get into school, what am I going to do? And I like science, so I figured I could stay in animal science if I needed to. And... Um, so did that program for two years and then did get in at the University of Missouri. And it was mostly a residency issue. I originally was a New York resident, which limited schools. And New Jersey not having a school opened up many more choices. And then I still finished the master's degree because I figured I put in two years of my life, I'll get the degree too. 
Yeah. Oh, I imagine. Yeah. So, so was, were you still, were you thinking small animal medicine? Did you have any idea at that time? You know, I, at the, t I had some opportunities to observe with small animal and some large animal vets. And I really loved riding around in a truck all day, going to dairy farms and other farms and eating lunch at a country store. So I thought large animal or mixed animal would be the way to go. And in my senior year of veterinary school, one of the small animal uh, medicine residents asked me what I planned to do. And I told him and he looked at me and he says, yeah, you should go into small animal. And I grew up in suburbia, so I didn't really grow up in the country. So uh, as it turns out, this worked out much better for me. <laughs> it's a pretty, it's a pretty nice lifestyle though, at least as a student, you know, I, I yeah. did the same thing, kind of riding around with a large animal vet. And like you said, eating lunch at a country store and, you know, getting on farms and it, it really was quite enticing, I think. It was, it was a lot of fun. The people were very nice. So a, a good, you know, I guess you could say it's a hard life, but not necessarily. It's something I realized once I got out of school was if I did want to live out in the country, there's not much out there. So, you know, you want to see a movie, you may have to drive an hour. Or if you want to do this and having not grown up in that lifestyle, I figured, well, maybe I'll try suburbia again. And for what I eventually got into, the holistic medicine, it was a much better situation to be in. Yeah, to be a yeah. small small animal in an urban setting, right. probably. So, at your, so you were a New Jersey resident when you did your applications. What what sort of what sort of choices did you have for schools then at that point? Um, well, New Jersey had about five schools that they had contracts with, which yeah. was the starting point, um, but. Other schools, particularly in the Midwest, were opening up their doors because they wanted to get, you know, more people in. And being an out-of-stater, we got to pay double tuition. Yeah. Uh, and Missouri had taken one person from New Jersey the year before me. And since she didn't totally mess up, they figured, well, these New Jersey people might be okay. So they let me in. And then a few others snuck in a few years after me as well. Um, but I, I will say going from New Brunswick, New Jersey to Columbia, Missouri was fantastic. Because in New Jersey, people are packed in tighter than sardines. And when you go to Columbia, you know, small town, but it's a college town, a lot of space, uh, nice people. It was really a great experience. Oh, that's great. So how many were in your class? We had 60. And you're, we're about the same age. So what, what was the uh, split as far as women and men in your class? We you were about 50-50 right at that point. Yeah. 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 And had you had you visited the campus before you you applied? I went out for the interview. I went there. I went to Ohio, Tuskegee, Penn, Cornell. Um, had an invitation to come to Illinois, but they said, "But really, you're a little further down the list." And I had heard from Missouri by then. I said, "Well, thanks anyway." So uh, ended up going to uh, Missouri. So starting school, you're thinking maybe mixed animal. Did you feel like you got a good education for that? I thought it was a I thought it was a great program in that uh, I think they may have been the only one at the time that had two years of bookwork and then they put you into the clinics with classwork continuing for the next two years. So we got early on got more hands-on experience, I think compared to what I had heard with other schools having three years of clinics and then one year of um, three years of classwork and one year of clinics. So it was really very nice and I think that they let us do a, a fair amount. Um, it's in the middle of the state, so a, a fair amount of, you know, some large animal, not much equine, but I wasn't so interested in equine anyway. And as with most schools, the small animal was the stuff that general practitioners didn't handle or that would be coming in from the cities that needed more 
um, uh, ter- you know, tertiary care, I guess they would call that. Sure. Sure. Now but, uh, you're very hands on school. So it was good. Nice. Uh, your wife's a veterinarian. Did you guys meet in school or was that afterwards? No, she graduated the same year, but from Virginia Tech, and we met in practice. Ah, okay. So she actually got a job at a place I interviewed at, Uh but she got the job. (laughs) I didn't know it at the time. I found Uh that out afterwards. Yeah, pretty funny. So where did you go after graduation? So I came, I started, I would have stayed in the Midwest, honestly, but in 86, that's when all the farms were collapsing. So the economy in the Midwest was just not so great. And decided to look back uh, to the East Coast. And I was still thinking at that point, maybe mixed animal. And I thought, well, too far north is just too cold. Too far south, just too hot. And I started looking back at Virginia where I had spent my, more or less my undergraduate years because my grandparents lived in Richmond. So I came back and looked in the state of Virginia and nothing was going on in Richmond for jobs. But Northern Virginia had quite a lot of opportunities. So I interviewed up here and took a job up here. Nice. So, and I've been here ever since. Wow. Uh, just a traditional small animal practice then? Correct. Small practice, one other doctor. I was the, you know, the second vet. Uh, I was like his third or fourth associate, um, which should have told me something. But that's a lesson you learn in practice too. Did you feel like he got mentored when you were in that practice? No, he was helpful. He, he, it was pretty helpful. And he, in a way, let me do stuff. So I guess, you know, didn't quite throw me in and disappear, but... He let me do a lot of stuff. So really, it did let me uh, put some stuff into practice right away and uh, kind of let me do things the way I wanted to do, which at the time was fully conventional. I hadn't, I think I'd had one exposure to holistic therapies at the SAVMA meeting when I was a senior, when it was in Florida. And Alan Schoen lectured on acupuncture. And I thought at the time, oh, that's interesting, but I didn't think much about it. So really, my practice goals at the time were just doing small animal, regular small animal medicine. So when did that interest rekindle itself then? Oh, about a year later at our local monthly CE event, um, Alan Schoen again had been invited back to lecture and it just rang the bell just a little bit stronger. Like, oh, that's pretty interesting. I was by then getting a sense of the, I guess you'd say the strengths and weaknesses of conventional medicine. Um, And it wasn't like I had a yearning, but just if an opportunity arose and as it turns out, the next year, a friend called me from New York and said, hey, they're teaching the acupuncture coast course on the East Coast. And this is when Ibis was the only game in town. Yeah. And she said, they're teaching on the East Coast. I think you should take the class so I know somebody in the class. <laughs> and in those days, Ibis taught every other year and they went every other coast. So hypothetically, it could have been four years before it came back to the East Coast. Yeah. Our class of Ibis then was the first one that had the first waiting list. So I took the class. Wow. So where was it on the East Coast? Yeah. And it was very mind opening, if you will. And the way they taught it after the first session, if you have a little bit of self-confidence, and I do, you come back and start dabbling. And it was just amazing that the first few patients did amazingly well. I was just, how could this be? But, you know, they were telling me the truth. That's great. So your boss was supportive then? So I asked him before I took the class, I, I said, if I, can I use holistic therapies in this practice? And he said, you mean like acupuncture? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, you have to prove to me that it works. And I said, before or after I take the class? And he didn't answer me. And I said, that's it. I'm taking the class. So I started using it and it was just part of our regular, you know, routine. I suppose my appointments initially was just a few. And since at the time, I think I was the only veterinarian in Northern Virginia doing acupuncture, word started to spread. 
uh, among people. And clients would say, hey, can you come give a talk to our group? Can you come talk to the Border Collie group? Can you come talk to the Irish Setter group? And, you know, I figured as long as they had snacks, I was there. And, um, <laughs> you know, young veterinarian. So uh, I just started talking about it and very enthusiastic. And more and more people came from a bigger and bigger circle until, you know, in, and then about a year or so later, uh, you know, within a year or two, I suppose, you know, 70, 80 percent of my time was people coming just for all, you know, to me for acupuncture. Wow. So they were traveling a ways, too, I bet. They were. There was nothing else in this general area. The next nearest was way up in Maryland. So, you know, yeah, but nothing south of me, nothing through most of the state of Virginia. So if people were interested, they came. So how long did you stay at that practice then? So in that intervening time, I had an opportunity, again, opportunities that arise, uh, opportunities to take a herbal course, Chinese herb. Yeah. My, my acupuncturist said, hey, would you like to take a course in Chinese herbal medicine? And I said, I think so. And after she told me how much it was going to be, I said, uh, will, will they take payments on that? And she said, I'm sure they will. And it was at a human acupuncture school and actually a five element school. So um, taught in modules and it was a two and a half year course, so like a very extensive from the ground up herbal which was fantastic. And just being a, being the token veterinarian was interesting. And that allowed me to bring that service into play. And then the next year, Richard Pitcairn was teaching his veterinary homeopathy course for the first time and only time on the East Coast. So I took that. And that then put me into about 1995. And I figured it was getting time to see if I could get out and do just holistic stuff. And again, an opportunity arose where some veterinarians who had been at an emergency specialty hospital were leaving to open their own. And I knew the three principals and I contacted them and uh, the surgeon in particular said, Hey, how about a holistic department? And he said, I think it's a great idea. And there you go. I was with them. Wow. So that was right around 95, 96. Then. I was 95 when uh, Southpaws, okay. which was a, the one, one of several specialty hospitals in Northern Virginia opened. And I was the holistic department with them for 10 years. Wow. So that was pretty forward thinking of them. I think the, sur yeah, the surgeon, I give him the credit to see, to have me in the door, figured they're the, they were and continue to be the only specialty hospital with holistic on the letterhead. So that helped. It didn't hurt me to be with them. Um, I found out from some clients that they may ask their vet, hey, what if I wanted to do holistic or acupuncture? Where should I go? And they would usually refer them to me because they figured if the other guys let me in, there must be something to it. So that helped elevate holistic medicine in the eyes of area vets. And fortunately, since, as we all know, it does work, um, word would spread back to them that the dog or the cats were doing better. And that just helped elevate uh, the acceptance of alternative therapies in our area. That was, I bet, a pretty big leg up. I think maybe the other thing is, you know, if you're just doing your holistic medicine, they're not worried about losing clients and that sort of thing too, right? right. And, and being at the specialty hospital, man, I wasn't stepping on their toes at all. And I really was seeing cases that the other services couldn't help. So, you know, nobody was being harmed and it was adding another service for animals that could benefit. Um, what was the organizational structure? Were you an employee or did you did you have your own practice within that? So the, when they started, they did just that. They The three principals paid for the build out and then rented back to themselves and to the other practices. So it was... It was a surgeon, an internist, and an ophthalmologist, and then I was the holistic. They had a cardiology group come in. They had an emergency doctor come in, uh, and that's how it all started. It was more like spokes on a wheel, if you will. Yeah. As time went on, they found it was much harder to manage 
people that they were not in control of. So as like the uh, emergency doctor decided to leave, so rather than let somebody else come in on their own practice, they hired an emergency doctor. They brought in an oncologist. They brought in a neurologist, all of which were then employees of one of the three original owners. I was still independent. So through all of that, I still kept an independent, you know, uh, situation with them um, and uh, persisted until eventually, you know, another nine years later, I, I left after they, they moved into a new facility and I expanded with one more person continuing the same arrangement. And um, so that's how that was set up for us. That probably was pretty nice. All you had to worry about was your rent and yeah, my rent, yeah. my employees, and you know, my share of the total costs and things. So that was always open for discussion. How much space I was using versus how much space they were using and what I felt like I could afford and what I needed and what I brought to the facility just being there. I always tried to hype that up, of course, too, making it unique to maybe people would see me and, oh, you know, if their dog needed surgery or they could use internal medicine, who would I recommend? Well, I certainly liked the doctors that were there. So it was mutually beneficial to everybody being in that facility. Yeah. All right. So this takes us to what, 2005? That takes us. So 10 years with them initially, they were in, in their first building and then they, they outgrew that. Um, actually, they outgrew it in about three years and took them seven years to find a new location, which they did. So I moved with them and had an opportunity to go to a different place, but I stuck with the same group. I brought in my associate. Uh, who had been an IVIS graduate and actually had done some observation time with me. She was working in a general practice and was looking to start to bring some ac do some acupuncture. So she started with me part-time and then ended up being full-time. And we were together in the same practice, still Southpaws, but for the next nine years. And near the end of that time, it had been purchased by a, a group, which was then purchased by VCA. So now it is VCA Southpaws. Um, and uh, then, so that put us up to 05, and uh, let's see, 95 to 05, and then to 2015, and that's when we moved into the facility that I'm in now. So you were, that's, as I recall, you were working, there was a VCA operation when I, yeah, so you had to be one of, I mean, through that series of events, you had to be one of the VCA's only holistic practitioners, right? I think so. And again, I wasn't their employee necessarily. I was just, you know, I just didn't leave. So, right. yeah. <laughs> you know, you put, a, put a stake in the ground and don't leave. And they were okay. I mean, I certainly talked to new owners as they came in. Is it okay if I stay? And they're like, sure, we don't see any reason why you shouldn't. Uh, and again, it's still, most of the referrals were still from the outside as it had always been, but it was still, you know, a, a good relationship being with them. And Again, not having to outfit my my own entire location during those initial years was very helpful. Um, but I realized the limitations there was I couldn't bring in other services. I would have to refer out to chiropractic or massage or things that neither I nor Dr. Corey had training in. And that then started to become more problematic because I couldn't keep track of the people in our area and how to get people to them. And if they were a little further away, it would be a little harder for them to even get that service. Um, and thus the idea was, well, maybe Northern Virginia could support a holistic clinic or holistic center. Yeah. I mean, so, that is, that is frustrating, isn't it? Trying to think about how to refer people out when you may not know who's where and who's doing what and, right. and that yep. sort of thing. And so, they travel, what their circle is, what their hours are. I can't keep up with all of it. And I didn't want that responsibility. 
So the idea was if, if a center was opened um, that could do that, provide a home for people, then that would be great. And I waited and no one else would open one. So it fell on me to have to open one. So that's what I did uh, <laughs> in 2015. So we've been here now, you know, four and a half years. And so tell me about that. Did you, are you renting? Did you build? So I rented a space, you know, you know, warehouse area, yeah. a 5,000 square foot space, which is very large. Um, but being in warehouse, it really helped with the, uh, with the cost, not as much as like a shopping center. And since we don't do any conventional medicine, we don't have to be visible, if you will, like we don't need to be in the shopping center to pick the latest people who move into the neighborhood. Those are not our clients. We're more of a destination. You are either referred to us, self-referred maybe through the internet or through a friend or from their veterinarian. So that allowed us to be a little more off the beaten path, which allows much better, gives us an opportunity for more space at a lower cost. And then with that, I was able to, so our facility has six exam rooms, um, a pharmacy and a reception area. We don't keep anybody, so we don't need a treatment area. We don't have a treatment area. We don't do any diagnostics. We let the regular veterinarians do that, kind of following up on what you mentioned earlier. We're not stepping on anybody's toes. Uh, and if we are doing metabolic support, kidney disease, liver disease, if they're going back to the regular veterinarian, the primary care for the blood work, they're seeing the improvements. It's not my blood analyzer. It's their blood analyzer. So that reinforces um, you know, the, these therapies work and they're seeing the patients back again too, even if it's, you know, mobility when we're doing acupuncture and so on. Um, and then having, I didn't need six exam rooms, but the idea was now I could invite people in who maybe have a practice elsewhere, but would come in a day a week. Ah, uh, yeah. like a lot of the chiropractors, they're in the, they're in the equine world, most many, not all, but many, mm -hmm. um, but that means, again, they're out in the country and people, at least in Northern Virginia, maybe don't want to drive all the way out there. So having somebody here, say, on a Monday, anybody interested in chiropractic, if they're available Monday, could come in on Mondays. And that person could be in – they don't have to drive around either. The people come to them, they see their patients, and then they go back out to the country where they like to live. So did you did you wrangle a lot over ideas like how much space am I going to need when you when you guys were looking for space? So it, uh, it was more a matter of, I found a place that I just really liked and I said, ah, I like this place. And then it was a matter of, you know, how can I use all that space? And again, 5,000 square feet is really big. And it turns out even six exam rooms doesn't fill that up. So I was, I said to my wife, actually, I said, so I think I found a great space, but it's a little too big. And her suggestion was, well, maybe a trainer will use some of it. And then in speaking with the architect, we designed the facility where 1600 square feet, towards the back is a big open room with a rubber floor and a separate entrance. So I, so that space is rented out to trainers who have like five different trainers who come in usually during the evenings to teach their classes. And some of them may reserve the space midweek for private classes. And the front half is the clinic with separate entrances. So we're trying to get maximum use out of this entire space. Oh, that's nice. And, and you're used to the kind of the independent contractor setup because you'd been through it. Exactly. And it was really kind of what I started off with at South Park. Like I like to call it a shared space model. So the options were they could work as an independent contractor. What most of them do actually is they simply pay to reserve a space. If they want to come in on Tuesdays, I hold a room for them every Tuesday. They pay every for every Tuesday, whether they use it or not. They set up their appointments. They take the payments. They do all that on their own. 
We supply a greeter that says, hi, have a seat. He or she will be with you in a moment. Would you like a cup of coffee? Um, I've told them we can offer receptionist service too. We can take the payments and then work that out, you know, at the end of the day, at the end of the week, whatever. Uh, but most of them have just worked, done their own thing. And that works out, if you will, easier for us as well. And they have access to the building. So if for some reason uh, we're not in on a certain day, they can still come in, see their clients and lock up when they leave. Oh, that's great. So, and, and I, I assume that they've got to have uh, a little bit of space for inventory if they're doing herbs. Well, right now only like the chiropractors. Yeah. They, they, one of them has like a, you know, a traveling box that she brings yeah. both of them actually with their toys and some other stuff. One of the practitioners that is also sharing space has had a hundred percent house call acupuncture practice. Um, and eventually not surprisingly got tired of driving around Northern Virginia all the time. And so started with me one day a week and now it's two days a week with me and two days on the road. So she has a small space. She just has basically a, a large plastic container that she keeps some of her herbals and other stuff in that she uses. And, you know, we have a space in our pharmacy. She slides her bin in there and just works out of that. But there's more space if they need it. But sure. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. So can you run through uh, the different practitioners that are in your space now? So in my practice, it's myself and Dr. Corey. She's my employee. Then I have another doctor who actually approached me about using our space to start her own practice. And I said, no problem. And I also, then I said to her, I said, so until your practice gets busy, would you like to see some of our clients? And then she'll, she works and she sees a lot of our clients too. She, so she's basically a third vet in our practice, but she works as an independent contractor. So she's not an employee. She's just an independent contractor, sets her own schedules, but sees our clients and still sees some of her own clients. And that works out really well, too. Then we have the Dr. Thompson, who was a, the traveling acupuncturist, who's with us two days a week. Um, and again, people can find out about all of our practitioners on our website. With a, Then they click on a link that tells you how to make an appointment with that person. So with Dr. Thompson, it says, you know, call this number to make an appointment with Dr. Thompson. Or if it's, so we have two chiropractors that come in. One comes only on Monday afternoons. If you find her on the website, you click on her link. It takes you to her website and tells you how to make an appointment. Um, the other chiropractor, um, Dr. Byerly, comes in every other Wednesday. And on her link, it takes you to her online calendar. Um, we have two massage therapists that come in. They kind of wait till they get enough patients to bundle them together. But since they're doing their own scheduling, they just notify me that, I'm going to be, I'd like to come in on Monday the 17th. So we make sure we've got a room for them and we block that room out and they see their people at, you know, at their own pace, however they want to do that. Um, you know, come in and leave when they're ready. Uh, we have a Reiki practitioner who's just started with us. She's working on some Saturdays and we have another chiropractor who's going to start next month on a different day. So I think that the, it's interesting that one might think if you get too many of these practitioners in there, that they're going to interfere with each other. And my belief is no, because for example, if we have one chiropractor who comes Monday afternoons only, if a client can never make it here on a Monday afternoon, they're not losing any client if someone's here on a Tuesday doing chiropractic, because maybe the person is free on Tuesdays. So it really increases the availability of the services to the clients without necessarily impacting the existing practitioners because they have a real practice elsewhere and we're just a, a piece of their practice. Got it. Got it. So your massage therapists are only doing animals or are they doing people too? 
So they're both trained in people, and I think one of them does some people, but really does animals. And the other one does, I think, just about 100% animals. Uh, she does a lot of agility dogs, so she also goes to an agility center uh, and treats animals there. And, of course, goes to a lot of the shows and does a lot of uh, massages there. And then is usually with us once or twice a month. And she lets me know about a week or so ahead. And because they don't need a particular room, and all the rooms are really similar, and our rooms are about you know 10 feet by 10 feet, they're, they're good size, yeah. um, then it's like whatever room is available, that's their room for the day. I know if they have a favorite, I try to let them get into their room. And for the practitioners who are here on a very regular basis and they have a particular preference and they get the preference of the room that they like. Would, would uh, you ever entertain the idea of having uh, practitioner, human practitioners, so to speak, in your, in your building? Could you do treat that? With, yeah, to treat people? I don't, I, I don't see the need for that. I don't know what the state would think about that. I don't know. You know, I don't know what those regulations would be. If if human practitioner people, you know, people treating people could be in a veterinary facility, since I don't know what the requirements would be, say, for a massage practice or a chiropractic practice. Um, and I'm, I haven't really investigated that. No one's approached me. Yeah. Um, I'd rather fill up our rooms with more services, either even varied services on different days and. Having, for example, having that one chiropractor who only comes Monday afternoon, that opens our room up for Monday morning. So if someone else wants a half day with a different service, they could come in on Monday morning. So, you know, as the landlord, my goal is to have every room filled all the time with somebody. Um, not always manageable, but that's, you know, that's what we're heading towards. Good. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a really interesting business pl- business model, and I've been following it because I just I wrestle with how we as holistic practitioners are going to proceed as there's more and more corporate consolidation and how the, uh, these small practices are going to survive. And this is certainly one great way that I think they can. Yeah. And even if somebody has a practice, doesn't have to be that large, but if you're not working seven days a week, you could make your space available to somebody else in your area, maybe even in the next town over providing a service, even if it's a service you provide, like I said, we have a, traveling acupuncturist who's here we're doing acupuncture too nobody has an exclusive on the pra- on on what they practice um, but if someone's even the, the, certainly if they offer a different service and they could use your space when you're not there it's a better use of your space why heat it and cool it and have it there if you're not you know using it um, and or if you're opening up a new place and you don't have enough business to hire enough veterinarians or the need to use all of your exam rooms you could again open up some spaces to other people to use until such a time as you may have enough people in your own practice or realize your practice doesn't doesn't have to be that big, but their presence and their share of the rent helps you cover your rent and your expenses, hopefully, if you can price it properly for everybody. It's got to work for everyone. Um, and, and indeed, that's why I said, if you want to be here on Tuesdays, I can't have you only pay on the days you come in because I couldn't fill that on the day you're not here, especially if I don't know when that is. And if you're paying for every Tuesday, hopefully you'll work a little harder to build up your practice to make it worthwhile on your end. You bet. You bet. an incentive there. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I'm not, we don't want to give away too much because you're going to do a nice, you're going to do a webinar for CIVT uh, coming up. Yeah. And, but this, this has been fascinating. I want to thank you for taking the time and I'm really looking forward to your webinar next month as well. All right. Thanks for giving me a chance to talk about it. All right. Thanks, Jordan. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. 
This podcast is made possible through the generous support of the College of Integrative Veterinary Therapies. ZIVT provides world-leading education in natural medicine, including three accredited postgraduate qualifications, industry-recognized certifications, and a wide range of evidence-based courses and webinars delivered by qualified and experienced practitioners. By bridging cutting-edge science and tradition, CIVT helps you to expand your treatment options to tackle your most challenging cases. And whether you're a veterinarian, veterinary technician or nurse, animal health professional, or someone who wants to learn more, they have the right course for you. Investigate their offerings at civtedu.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, we'd appreciate if you'd take the time to tell a friend and to give us a favorable rating on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for your support. We'll see you next time.